right, welcome back to From Eight Arbitration. Uh, had a heck of a week, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> there were some hot topics uh, going on this week about From Eight Arbitration. Uh, have y'all ever seen the video? It's a, a wasp that gets into that beehive. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but it's pretty cool. But this wasp gets into this beehive. There's a million bees, and they're not, they're not even paying this wasp any attention. So this wasp was just walking around in this beehive, and it just decides it's going to kill a bee. So it gets this bee and its little pincers up front, and it, and it kills this bee. Well, as soon as it does that, all the other bees jump on this wasp and just kill the shit out of it. A thousand bees just on this wasp immediately when it kills that other bee. <laughs> That's what happened this week when one of the Facebook pages said they were going to censor my content. That if you, you know, if you reference from eight arbitration, they were going to remove that post. And it looked like all those bees jumping on uh, that wasp, everybody coming to, to my defense, which I don't need, but I do appreciate it. It was quite comical, <laughs> quite, but it lasted for days. And uh, just a, a damn frenzy. And um, but I, I wish that our workroom floors were like that. That's the perfect example of running to the fight. If I could make one, that's the perfect example of running to the fight. Is that uh, example there? When somebody took a shot at me, and uh, then everybody just came to my defense. It's pretty cool saying, "Look, I'm just a city letter carrier." That's all I am. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff. Like I said, I'm just trying to put stuff out there. I get extremely passionate about city letter carriers and some people don't like that. And that's fine. A lot of people do not like me. That's okay too. <laughs> I promise you, it doesn't hurt my feelings. A lot of comments about uh, me on those things. That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> I I'm going to keep on living, <laughs> but uh, it was wild, man. I mean, it was wild, and uh, I'm just sitting back like, holy shit. <laughs> but um, the only thing is, is I was, they did that based off hearsay, saying that they don't listen, the admins don't listen to the podcast. Uh, some other people had talked about it, so they're saying they're going to remove my stuff, uh, saying that I was supporting a ticket. Well, I ain't not supporting a ticket. Uh, I made it quite uh, clear that's Mike Cariff, if he runs for president, that's who I'm going to vote for because I know of the training. I've said that a million times on all these episodes. The training, that's what we need. You want to be successful, you train your people. You want to be a devastating union, you train your people. And you constantly train your people. Get to these stations that you never hear of that got one or two routes, the shop stewards there. Get people in there to train them constantly. You want to be successful, you train. And that's the bottom line. And love. Love and training. Those two things. If you got those two ingredients, you're going to be successful. And Mike Harris got those. Um, I'll read something that somebody put on there. It's kind of one of the things. And I asked this individual, you know, to come on here. And uh, I'd like to talk to him. Uh, and he hasn't responded yet. But I thought it was comical what this individual said, but this is just uh, one of the examples of what was said. And then this is kind of stuff that I'm talking about when you, 
you know, when you get on social media, everybody's got an opinion and that's wonderful. That's what makes us all great. A lot of people don't like me. That's fine. A lot of people do. That's wonderful. Um, I'm going to keep doing this regardless of what people think about me. Uh, But this individual, he says, somebody put up there that the podcast was boring. And so (laughs) this person said the first 20, 25 episodes were very well done and informative. After that, you can hear his ego getting bigger. And now he's just pandering to the angry. Still some good info, but muddled down with bullshit and anger. <laughs> so I'm going to say, I'm going to say this guy doesn't care much for the podcast. <laughs> that last part is that, uh, well, it's all just one sentence, but just pandering to the angry, still some good info, but muddled down with bullshit and anger. And so people start talking to him about that. And he says, uh, comes back and he says, Uh, I have a lot of knowledge and experience, and I'm less angry than I've ever been. I understand the ways we have to deal with our issues. And they keep getting on him. He says, uh, we need to be angry, but channel it through the system that we have. Not enrage a bunch of people that don't understand and or participate in the system. This creates negative doubt in our union. Uh, Then he goes on, he says, uh, that brother didn't deserve to die, talking about Mr. Gates, but he deserved to have the knowledge to know how to take care of his own safety without worrying about management. So he's putting the burden on Mr. Gates. Spread that message instead of management killed him. We all have a job to do. We do ours. They do theirs. They only know what they're trained on, too. Hmm. I'll read that again. Because this, my friend, is where I disagree. (laughs) He says, that brother didn't deserve to die, but he deserved to have the knowledge to know how to take care of his own safety without worrying about management. Let me go to the contract, my friend. Let me go to the contract, my friend, because you will never put the responsibility of that on me or my people. Uh, This position here is one of those uh, that probably through the grievance procedure gives management a lot of will comply and shall complies. Uh, That sounds like this individual here, because when I look at Article 14, it talks about safety and health. And the very first sentence says this, it is the responsibility of management to provide safe working conditions in all present and future installations and to develop a safe working force. It's the responsibility of management, my friend. And so when you start talking about management has their job to do, we have our job to do, but it's up to us to educate ourselves. When you file this grievance, you don't say shit like that. You say Article 14 is responsibility of management. That's what you say, brother. And and then you look at the HIP memo, and this is what the HIP memo says. Four supervisors, the United States Postal Service implemented the heat illness prevention program, HIP, to protect employees from heat-related illnesses and to educate them on how to stay safe during hot weather. It did not say that the city letter carriers implemented HIP 
It said the Postal Service implemented HIP. You know why? Because that burden is on them. You will never put that burden on me. So, my friend, if you are a carrier, and with those comments, I'm not sure if you are, you're sorely mistaken when you put that responsibility on me. Now, sure enough, when I get out there, I'm to take care of myself. But when we're talking about the falsification of training, when we talk about those things, we will say it's a violation of Article 14. Why? Because it's the responsibility of management. And we'll also do the HIP training. We'll put that in there. Why? Because the Postal Service implemented that. Under your ideology, we should not file a grievance. Why? Because it's our responsibility. That's what you're saying. Uh, that's how damn stupid that sounds when you say that. Spread that message, he said, instead of management killed him. I will always say that management killed that man. I don't care if the Postal Service gets upset about that, brother. I don't give a damn if the Postal Service gets upset at that. I don't care if they get mad at me about that. I believe that the Postal Service killed that man in their actions towards him. I believe that. You may not like me, and that's wonderful. I will never see you, and I will never talk to you. I asked you to come on here and defend yourself. You didn't contact me, okay? And then you start talking about, and you deleted the comment where you said that uh, his business agent and the advocates under him have a much better record than me. And I said, hey, bring your advocate's records on here and we'll compare them. Uh, you know, we're not measuring things on here. Uh, you know, I, I've done well in arbitration. If that means I have a big ego, okay. But I've done well in arbitration. Uh, we've had some very good witnesses, very good case files. But, you know, if your advocates have a much better record than me, that's fantastic. That means the Charles region is doing fantastic. And that's good. I read to y'all the... Um, the thing about the man in the arena. Y'all remember that when I read that? It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong person stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And that is you, my friend. That is you. You will neither know victory nor defeat. You are lukewarm. That's what you are. Uh, you have no position. When you say that we all have a job to do, we do ours, they do theirs, they only know what they're trained on too. When you do that, you are sympathetic to management. And that is one thing I will never be on here. I will never be sympathetic to management. I will always fight them tooth and nail about every single thing. I will never give them quarter. I will never give them shelter. I will never give them compassion. I will never give them a break. 
I will always fight them tooth and nail. That is just who I am. I will never look at them and say, y'all weren't educated when y'all decided to falsify hip training. Y'all didn't know better than to falsify hip training. It's Mr. Gates' responsibility. The reason that he passed away is, is his fault. You will never hear me say that because I go by the contract and the contract only. I do not go by hypotheticals, assumption, guesses. That will never be my position. My position will be this. Under Article 14, it is management's responsibility and it will never be mine. That's the problem that we have with this union today. Too many people concede defeat before we even step foot on the battlefield like this gentleman that was talking all that dumbass shit. We concede defeat. We refuse to fight. And when you do that, you become sympathetic to the cause of management. That it is not their responsibility under Article 14. We will change the verbiage of Article 14 in these statuses to say management has a job to do. We have our job to do. And it's that gentleman's responsibility to keep himself safe and he failed to do so. That is as trifling a position as you will ever see written. I asked you to come on here and defend yourself, and you chose not to do that. I still, I still ask that you come on here and talk to me about it. Bring your advocates' records on here. Not that it's important. Your advocates have nothing to do with this. You chose to put them into this fight. Your business agent has nothing to do with this. You're the one who chose to put them into this fight. You don't like me? Brother, that's fine. That's okay. Muddled down bullshit? That's what you want to call it? That's fine. A lot of people don't like me attacking my union. I'm here as a city letter carrier, and I'll attack whoever in the fuck I want to attack. You know why? Because I care about one thing and one thing only, city letter carriers. That's it. I've said that a million times. That is it. The NLC, I love them. I do. And when I work for them, I give it everything that I have to protect what? The carriers. <laughs> I don't work for the NLC to make them look good. I work for the NLC when I did to protect city letter carriers. Every, every ounce of my energy was to protect and advance the interest of city letter carriers. Okay, so people that say, like they told LeBron James, to shut up and dribble. When people tell me to shut up and educate, first off, I pay $40 a month now to put this out there. It started out as 20, but so many downloads and there's so many people getting involved with this uh, podcast that the person said, hey, you got to go up to the next plan, which is $39.99. I did that. So you will not tell me to shut up and dribble. <laughs> You're not going to do that. I will talk about whatever I feel necessary to talk about. And if I feel that there are business agents out there that are not representing their people, I will call you out. It's that simple, really. If my leaders at National are not doing what they're supposed to do, I will call you out. That's just what I'm going to do. <clears throat> I will not just shut up and teach like a lot of you want me to do. I have done more educating, J.B., Mr. Billups, Jason Ashley, Mr. Kerf have come on here to do more educating than anything ever produced by the NLC in its lifetime. And that's just simple. We've done more educating on here than anything else the NLC has produced. So I will not just shut up and teach. 
That's not what I'm going to do. If I feel that there's something needs to be talked about, that's what I'm going to talk about. You don't like it? Don't listen to it. It's that simple. Uh, I'm going to talk about some past practice stuff today, but things that our management are doing to us because we're holding them accountable to hip. Uh, but that's just something I wanted to say right off the jump. Um, management doesn't like me, and that's fine. Uh, I don't want them to like me. Uh, I don't work to make management happy, and that's not my job. Uh, a lot of people in the union don't like me, and that's okay as well, because I will hold you accountable when I don't feel like you're doing the best you can for city letter carriers. That's just how I'm going to be. Because I'm a city letter carrier, and, and I love city letter carriers. So with that being said, somebody posted something pretty funny uh, that uh, management had written in their contentions. <laughs> I thought it was quite hysterical. And this is what it said. They posted this on Facebook. And this is management's contentions to their case. DPS volume has nothing to do with city care office time. Additionally, it is an established past practice in this installation that no city carrier has ever formally challenged the accuracy of DPS mail count supplied by end of run or the DOAS program not only during route office counts, but no carrier has ever formally challenged the DPS piece count supplied by end of run or the DOAS program during a formal inspection. So in other words, whatever we tell you, you better believe it. That's their contention. Whatever we say, you better believe it. We've ne Y'all have never challenged this before. Y'all have never challenged the accuracy of counts before. So whatever we tell you, you better believe it. Don't you ever challenge it. It's a past practice that we are never challenged before. <laughs> That's not going to go over well in arbitration when a, when a advocate gets a hold of that. So what you're saying is whatever you tell me, I need to believe it. I cannot check and I cannot challenge it at any time. That's what you're saying. Uh, they're going to have a hard time with that. But then they said this. <laughs> the union's newfound pod, capital P-O-D, cast, two separate words. The union's newfound podcast deity, Corey Walton, seems to be the driving force behind the NELC's meritless push to add contract language that has nothing to do with the office time. First off, I'm not associated with the NELC. I don't associate with them whatsoever. This podcast is completely independent of the NELC. Uh, so I don't associate with them. They don't help me. They don't supply me with anything. They don't give me any information for anything. Uh, so I'm completely independent of that, right? I'm coming solely as someone wanting to educate. So when they say Walton seems to be the driving force behind the NELC's meritless push, to add contract language that has nothing to do with office time. So I'm a deity now, according to management. <laughs> so this podcast has raised me, raised me to God status. And that's very a very good compliment from them. So hopefully I'll get to go down there and be a uh, witness for that. Since they chose to put me in their, <laughs> put me in their uh, contentions. When you, this gentleman who was talking on Facebook talking about um, we all have a job to do. We do ours. They do theirs. They only know what they're trained on to. It, it reminds me of a removal that I'm working on now. Uh, I was 
been sent out to represent this young lady in a removal. They fired her. Uh, I've just now put my information requests in. I just got this removal. It's a small station. Uh, I don't know the station. I've been there once to help this young lady. And uh, they fired her for falsifying doctor's notes. For falsifying doctor's notes, right? And in the I, I, I'm going to read it to you. This is what was stated. And, and then I'm going to talk some more about this gentleman's message that we do what we do. They do what they do. Here's the, um, here's the question. Now listen to this. For your absences on June 18th and June 19th, you're instructed to bring acceptable documentation for dropping your route both days by the supervisor. You have failed to bring documentation for your absences. Why have you failed to bring documentation for your absences? Here's the answer. On 618, I asked supervisor for help because I got too hot. I was throwing up. I felt like I could pass out. She instructed me to fill out a leave slip, and I did. She let me leave the premises without checking on me and should have called 911. Because I was about to pass out. She said, bring documentation if you go to the doctor. She didn't offer any medical assistance whatsoever. Then he says, did you ask the supervisor for medical assistance? I explained to her I was about to pass out. I was throwing up twice and my vision was blurred. He says, did you hydrate the night before? I did. I already explained that to you. Have you received instructions on how to manage heat stress and exhaustion? There was a paper sent around, but no instructions given by you or the supervisor. Did you hydrate the morning before? Yes. So here's an individual, a young lady, that says, Hey, on this date, I was overcome by the heat. I was throwing up. My vision was blurry. And I came back. And I told the supervisor. And they sent me home. Offer no medical assistance. And what does management say? Did you hydrate? Did you tell them you need medical assistance? You sound like management, mister, on Facebook when you say that we have a responsibility to ourselves. That's what you sound like is management. Because here's a young lady that says, I was overcome by the heat. And they put that burden on her. They put that burden on her. So this is what I requested. This is what our quest, they removed, they removed her for falsifying uh, medical records, right? So here's what I requested. Any and all information management used to issue this carrier her removal dated July 20th. This information is requested for a possible violation of Article 16 and 19. Additionally, I would be requesting the following information. All the hip training. All the things that we said. This information is requested to investigate the possible violations of Article 14 and 19 of the National Agreement to see if management at this installation intentionally falsified City Care's heat hip training. So, if you're going to say that we're going to be removed for falsifying medical documentation, let me check out y'all's hip training and see if y'all have intentionally falsified that hip training because I'm going to now ask for removal. Remember when I talked about that a few weeks ago? Last week maybe as well? Now, during the span of a week, I get this removal put in my lap where somebody was removed for falsifying medical documentation. So what do I do? I want all your hip training. 
this station isn't in my installation. I have nothing to do with this station. So I don't know if they have or not. So I'm going to see, did you, did you falsify the hip training? Then this person who falsified it needs to be removed as well, right? Here's something else I requested. In reference to question 34 of the investigative interview, dated June 30th, 2023, and in accordance with M1860, I'm requesting the call log showing a call to 911 from this supervisor dealing with this city care's medical emergency. Do you know why I requested that? Because at no time ever will you put that responsibility on me just like this gentleman on Facebook did. At no time ever will you put the responsibility on me as long as the language of Article 14 starts out with, it is management's responsibility. It is no time my responsibility under the contract. Now, when you say things like, Mr. Gates should have done this here, you're stating that on personal opinion. I have to go by the contract when I deal with cases and grievances. I cannot go outside of that realm. I have to go by the contract when I deal with heat-related illness and injury. I cannot say, as management will say, your responsibility is to take care of yourself. I cannot do that. Now, I've stated in previous episodes, management doesn't give a fuck about us, about our health, about our safety. We'll always be responsible for that. Management doesn't care about our health. And they've shown that with Mr. Gates. They've shown that over and over again throughout the history of the Postal Service. As far back as you can go in arbitrations, you'll see that. That management does not care about the health and safety of city letter carriers. At no time ever will they. However, if you're filing a grievance and you're going to start it out with Article 14, dealing with safety, you have to say this. It is the responsibility of management, period. It is the responsibility of management, period. That is the written word. So my friend, I wish you to come on here. Maybe you still will. I don't know. Uh, but sorry, don't like the podcast, man. This muddled down bullshit. It ain't for everybody. I, I assure you. <laughs> it ain't for everybody. Here's the language on the removal when they talk about us falsifying anything or allegedly falsifying stuff. Here's the language that they put on here uh, when they talk about falsification. And this will be something that I put in my contentions against them and when I get this falsification of hip training. The charges against you are serious. Your improper conduct is a violation of postal policies and procedures as outlined in the ELM site stated above. In addition... You fail to appreciate the seriousness of your actions and the seriousness of the burden that you're placing on management with your behavior. Your improper conduct has damaged my confidence in your ability to perform your duties in a reliable way and has also damaged my confidence in your judgment. Your improper conduct has further damaged my confidence in your ability to uphold the policies and regulations of the Postal Service. You have broken the bond of trust between the employee and employer all of these factors weigh heavily against you. I have concluded that your removal from the Postal Service is appropriate and warranted under the circumstances and that no lesser penalty would sufficiently address the seriousness of your behavior. Now that's what they wrote about falsification of doctor's notes. And we have people writing in B-team decisions that they will just simply do the training. 
This is how they view us when I talk about the double standard here. They're going to come back with this falsification of the hero training and think nothing about it. Yet when a city letter carrier does something similar, what do they say? We cannot trust you any longer. Removal is the only thing adequate for this offense here. I say that over and over and over and over again. That is the reason when you catch managers with their pants down and things like this here, you have to take it all the way. That's why. Because there's a double standard here. And we have regions that have accepted that double standard. And they will tell management, just simply do the training or we don't even ask you to do the training at all. Just quit falsifying stuff or quit uh, failing to complete things. Uh, that's the reason for my anger, if you want to know. This muddled down bullshit. That's the reason for this muddled down bullshit is because I'm sick and tired of the double standard and I'm sick and tired of our union accepting it as so. That's what pisses me off. Okay. Now, let me say this. Let me say this. We are fighting back. We are fighting back in a major way. We are fighting back. Uh, the union has finally stepped into the fight. The union has finally stepped into this fight, and we will win now. I promise you that. We're going to win. I'm going to read some things to you. Uh, but the union has decided to get into this fight with the city letter carriers. Uh, we're down here fighting. <laughs> the shop stewards are down here fighting, okay? And the union has decided to step into this fight. And I'm going to read this to you. Uh, I'm going to read this to you. There's a bunch of things I'm fixing to read uh, that were sent out. Here's something that was sent to me, and I'm going to read this to you, and I'm going to talk about it. In regards to our discussion on last night's WebEx concerning hip falsification, which is exactly what it is, some of you reached out asking further guidance on what we should be requesting as a remedy. In conjunction with what some of the other regions are doing, I would recommend at the very least, okay, let me say that again, in conjunction with what some of the other regions are doing, I applaud you for that. I've been saying this over and over again. We have got to quit being 15 separate unions. You've got to get your heads together on this and design an issue, contentions, and remedy on this falsification. I've been saying that for months. You've got to get these minds together. And you've got to say as a union, what are we going to do with the falsification of hip training? Uh, now, for some of you, it's too late. For some of you, it's too late. I've already been shit on. But we have business agents saying, look, other regions are doing this. This is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to look like when we put our grievances together. So I'll read that again. In conjunction with what some of the other regions are doing, I would recommend at the very least, I like that, one, a cease and desist on falsifying training records and violating the Elm 732. I love that. A cease and desist on falsifying training. That's imperative. It's imperative that that's in our grievance. Falsifying training. The word falsifying is devastating to management. It's an intentional act when you say falsifying. It looks horrendous going in front of an arbitrator, falsifying. It's very easily provable. 
Very easily provable, but falsifying looks horrendous and arbitration. Okay? Two, a cease and assist on violating Article 14. Beautiful. Why? Because it's management's responsibility. It's not ours, like this gentleman on Facebook said. It's not our responsibility. It's management's responsibility. Three, the training to be given to all employees within seven days of receipt of this decision. That's good. Four, posting an acknowledgement of the training being improperly recorded and that management understands the importance of safety for their employees now and in the future and will properly give and record the HIP or other training in the future. I like that. The manager that input the training to lose access to HERO and the recording of training records in any USPS system that records any training by employees. That's perfect. And that was off one of the ones I've read here in the past. Six, that letter carriers will start no later than 7.30 a.m. in all offices within the installation to abate the heat as much as possible during the months of June, July, and August. That's a beautiful issue and remedy. That's beautiful right there. All that letter carriers will start no later than 7.30. And I don't care what management says about that. If they say, hey, the mail's not up. You can have us case mail in the PM like they talked about a while back. We can case mail when we get back in the PM and get it ready for next day, when we come in and get out of the office as soon as possible in the morning. There's a lot of things that we can do. When I talked about stick DPS, that will help us to stay off the street. So there's a lot of things that we can say when management comes back and says, we can't do that, It's not uh, mail's not available that early, whatever we do. Think of a game plan, what you're going to say when they raise that contention, okay? We can't bring it at 7.30 because the mail's not up. We can't bring it uh, any earlier because the parcels aren't up. We can't bring it any early. Make sure we're ready for that contention. What are we going to say when they do that, all right? What's our position when management says we can't bring it in earlier because the mail's not here, the parcels are whatever? Make sure that you're ready for that contention. Ask your business agent what you should say, all right? But that's a great issue and remedy right there. Carries on. Seven, confirmation to the local union no later than March 31st each year that the training has become completed. Who received the training, what date it was completed, and who conducted it. That's a great one right there. And lastly, eight, $100 payment to each letter carrier whose training records were falsified. I love that. Like I said, it's not about the money. The money was on there to get this in front of an arbitrator because management's not going to agree to it initially. You probably pre-arb a lot with that money on there. But this one says $100 payment to each letter carrier whose training records are falsified. Okay? And it says, any other questions, concerns, please let us know. Thanks. Let me say why I read that to you. Let me tell you why I read that. I jumped all over this person here who last week and the week before, who sent this out. I have jumped all over this individual who sent this out right here this week. So to you, sir, I say thank you. I say thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing that because you have decided to get yourself into this fight. I said last week that you're waving at us as we're in this fight. I said last week that you're throwing roses at us as we're passing by you in this fight, and you have decided to get into this fight, and I cannot thank you enough. Your people, your members cannot thank you enough for doing that. 
You have decided to get your ass in this fight and become a berserker for us as well. So I'm going to tell you here in front of everybody, thank you, sir, for doing that. Thank you. Uh, I put something up on the From Aid Arbitration Facebook page a while back. I said, it's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to represent. It's never too late to fight. You have got to fight at all times. You've got to fight. And so you, sir, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Uh, I, you know, I, I just, I love to see that. I love to see that truly. I do. Um, we need every business agent to have that stance. Every business agent needs to have that stance right there. These are the things that we're going to ask for. And we're going to settle for nothing less. Other regions are supporting this. This is how we're looking in other regions. This is how we're fighting in other regions. And so we're going to collectively adopt this issue and this remedy as far as this hip falsification because it's that serious. Unlike this individual who said, hey, uh, I hate that this man died, but it's up to him to take care of himself. That's the dumbest bullshit ass take I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and, and it's dangerous to us to adopt that philosophy that it is now up to us in accordance with Article 14. It is not up to management in accordance with Article 14. That is up to us to enforce HIP, and it's not up to management to enforce the very thing that they have written and adopted as policy, as the HIP training. Uh, so we cannot be that damn careless and stupid. So that's a very good issue and remedy that that gentleman said there, and I thank you. Here's something else that came out on my birthday, July 19th. And thank you all for reaching out to me about my birthday. 40, uh, 54, 40, 54 years old. Mercy. NALC headquarters would like to know if your delivery units have completed the mandatory HIP, HIP, mandatory HIP heat illness prevention program training. The training is a 20-minute video. Remember that, y'all, because a lot of people are saying, I'll read something to you in a second. A lot of people are saying that they're giving you stand-up talks. The training is a 20-minute video, and that's the reason it's falsified, because management does not want you on the floor watching a 20-minute video because they're trying to get you out of the office in an hour. And I've said that for months now. Uh, I think that the business agent, Mr. Davidson, said that in his uh, email out that he knows that this is because of the hour office time. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of that, that AVPs have told them to falsify this training due to getting carriers out of the office in an hour because they have these metrics that they're going by. And so it's a training video that lasts 20 minutes. Remember that when you're talking about hip training and the remedy for hip training and when you sign off on hip training see their instructions below for the attached spreadsheet regarding the hip training column one hip training completed is the information we're looking to gather and it specifically pertains to the hero training each care and each office should have received this year there is a drop down menu with only yes no and partial as the only possible answers Yes means everyone in the office received the training. No means nobody in the office received the training. Partial means some people received the training, but some did not. You can add any comments that may be helpful. Also, please let me know about each delivery unit in your branch, including any merged branches that we have completed this year. 
The spreadsheet still has them under the, their old branch numbers, even though they're in, the, in your branch as of now. So NLC headquarters has gotten into this fight. It's July 19th now, so a lot of people have already filed these. But still, when you talk about a database, remember that clown that a few weeks ago attacked me saying we don't need a, a database, a war chest? You do. Yes, you do. Yeah, you got to play chess and not checkers like that guy was playing when he said we don't need a war chest of uh, the one that the business agent sent after me. Remember that? You do. You do, because you're attacking this nationally. It's a national issue. It's not a local issue. It's a national issue. So how do you attack it? Nationally. So NALC headquarters has gotten into this fight. I tell you, there's a shitstorm coming down on the USPS. It's a shitstorm coming down on them, and it's only just begun. I promise you it's only just begun. Get into this fight, everybody. Get into it, man. We're going to have a fun time celebrating when this is over. Get into this fight with this falsification of hip training. It's, it's like chum in the water to sharks, man. It's chum in the water to sharks. you got to get in this, man, and enjoy it. So the NLC headquarters, it's July 19th now when they sent this out. But they have gotten in this fight, and we need them in this fight. We need the power of NALC headquarters to get into this fight. There is a lot of power in that headquarters building. A lot of power. And we need that power to win this fight. The business agents, we need that power to win this fight. You've got to have all 15 business agents on the same page if we're going to win. And we will win. Here's something that somebody sent out from their region July 19th. Uh, based off of this, we are gathering information regarding the HIP training. As you know, it is the responsibility of each installation head to ensure that employees complete the HERO course. Employees must complete this training prior to April 1 each year. Attached is a spreadsheet listing all the offices in your branch. We're asking you to complete columns 1 or I and J and send back to me. Column is a simple yes or no. Column J is for any comments such as they only gave the stand-up talk, but we did not take the 20-minute hero course. We filed a grievance, and they gave the training, etc. And this is from another business agent that I've been jumping on. So they are getting into the fight, finally. Hey, better late than never. Seriously. Better late than never. I, I'm coming down on a lot of people because I want you to get into the fight. Uh, that's what I've been talking about on all these muddled-down bullshit episodes is to fight and to keep fighting. You've got to stand the fuck up. Remember when I was saying that? Somebody in the union stand the fuck up. They're standing up. They're standing up. So I'm going to give credence where it's due. I'm going to call a spade a spade when I'm mad and when I'm agitated. I'm also going to do the same thing when people that I've been harping on are doing the right thing. Uh, this podcast is much more than education now. Much more than education now. I wish it was still simply education. I do. I do. And I'll get back to that eventually. I've got to have my union step up to protect my people. I've got to. And so people are starting to stand up and fight. And, and it's, fixing to, it's fixing to be a shitstorm for management, man. I told you, they're fixing to reap the fucking whirlwind on this. So our business agents are getting involved. Headquarters is getting involved. And I am here for it, okay? Now... If you need to know how to check your hero training, your hip training, if you received it or not, okay? Get a pen and paper. 
And I'm going to have Jeremy put this up on formatearbitration.com. But if y'all don't like getting on there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how to do it. Get a pen and paper. And I'm going to tell you how to, to check your hero training to see if you've received it, if they falsified it. That way you can take it to your shop store and say, hey, I believe they falsified our hero training. We've given you so much information right now on this podcast, so much information on how to beat this, issues, remedies, contentions, uh, the full hip training. Uh, now we have remedies for you when you talk about uh, business agents talking about remedies. So we everything you possibly need to know about how to defeat their, and how to defend this hero hip training falsification, we have covered it ad nauseum. I mean, y'all should know this stuff by heart now, but I'm going to keep talking about it because it's that big. Here's how you check your online training. So get your pen and paper. You go to light blue login. Okay. You go to light blue login. You go to hero login, H-E-R-O, hero login. You click on the assigned training. It's located on the right. You click on assigned training. Located on the right. You click on completed training. Located on the left. You click on completed training. Located on the left. You scroll to fiscal year or FY23. Heat stress recognition and prevention. Or other training you're interested in seeing. So you scroll to FY23. Heat stress recognition and prevention. You click the. View completion drop-down arrow at the far right. You click the view completion drop-down arrow at the far right. You choose view training details. You choose view training details. You scroll to the bottom of the page. Click transcript history. Drop-down menu. This will show who entered the course completion information and the time and date of the action. You should print this screen for use in any grievance related to falsified training. Okay, I'll read that again. Scroll to the bottom of the page. You click transcript history, drop down menu. This will show who entered the course completion information and the time and date of the action. You should print this screen for use in any grievance related to falsified training. But cut off right there. But that's what you do if you want to uh, figure out how to uh, see if your heat training was falsified. And I'm going to say that it is. But uh, there you have it as far as that's concerned. Now, a lot of debate this week on whether you put your sock on one foot and then your shoe and then the sock on the other foot and put the shoe. And they asked me uh, how to do it. I put both socks on and then my shoes i don't put one sock one shoe and then one sock one shoe okay so they asked me to clarify that i put both socks on and then i put both shoes on and i think any sane person would do the same okay so that was a hot topic out there this week and some people asked me to clarify for them how i do it and that's exactly how i do it um so that's just a little bit for you as far as the heat training addressed the gentleman that wanted to call me out, didn't want to come on here. Uh, you still have an invitation to do that because it, the, I don't care what people say about me. Honest to God, I don't care if you like me or not. Uh, I'm going to keep doing what I do, keep educating like I'm fixing to do here. But don't put the, the responsibility on Mr. Gates ever. 
When you do that, I'm going to call your ass out on it. When you do that, I'm going to call your ass out on it, okay? You will not do that and let me see it, all right? It's responsibility of management and HIP is something that they have come up with. They falsified that. They failed in both of those things when it comes to Mr. Gates. Uh, that ideology is management, sympathetic. And I'm not, will never tolerate sympathizing with those sorry, low-down, heartless, careless, cowardless, lying motherfuckers. I will not. I will not. Uh, I will represent anybody and everybody anywhere in the country. If you hate me, I will come and give you everything that I've got to represent you. I promise you that. If you say that I'm uh, my ego is something, I don't care. If you're in trouble, I'm going to give it everything I've got to protect you. If you say that I'm boring, <laughs> I don't care. If you're in trouble, I will give it everything I've got to protect you and get you back to work. Do you understand? That's just how I am. So call me what you want. Hate me all you want. Say I'm irresponsible, careless, stupid, whatever. Whatever. Understand this. If you need help, I will be there with everything that I have got. And I will fight tooth and nail to make sure that you get your job back and get yourself out of trouble. I'll do that. You know why? Because I hate these motherfuckers that bad. <laughs> That's why. I hate these motherfuckers that bad. That's why. So no matter what you say about me, you censor me, I don't care. I'll be running if you need help. I will be the first one through the door if you need help. And I promise you that. I promise you that. Uh, education is what this is all about, and it has turned into something. I talk about this all the time. It's turned into something else. It's kind of morphed into something else because I see that my union is failing us. And when I started seeing that, I started changing my focus onto the union helping more and fighting more and standing up more and to protect us here on the workroom floor. We are the ones that carry the brunt. We get the brunt of everything. Anything that management does, we get the brunt of it. When you work at headquarters, you deal with people in suits. They don't have that mentality. They don't have that mentality. They don't deal with what we deal with at headquarters level. I know that for a fact. At the business agents level, somewhat, but they don't deal with what we deal with on this floor with the idiotic supervision that we have to deal with. With these scanner messages that come out, they don't have to deal with that. They don't see those unless we send it to them. So we are the ones who catch the brunt. So as my agent, I want you to come running whenever I tell you that I need help. I want you to come running. And when you don't do that, when people reach out to me and show me examples of when you don't do that, I will get on here and raise all kinds of hell for them. That's just what I'm going to do. Why? Because I love city letter carriers. I do. I have people in the NELC that I love dearly. Uh, they're great friends of mine. But I am on here for one reason and one reason only, to protect city letter carriers, to educate city letter carriers on things that are going on around this country. And if you don't like that, that is fine. Start your own podcast and educate. I do this for free. <laughs> I do this for free. You can ask Jeremy. People come to us all the time wanting to advertise. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. People contact me all the time wanting to start something to, to contribute money. I'm not taking your money. And I tell them that. And they're like, well, we'll just give it to somebody else to give it to you. I'm not taking money. 
on this podcast. I'm not doing it. Now, we will be selling shirts. Hopefully, that'll be this week. So make sure y'all buy a bunch of shirts because 100% of that's going to MDA. I think that'll be cool to give them a big check based off of. So if you've ever wanted to give something, buy a shirt. And uh, we'll contribute that to MDA, okay? But you can talk about my ego. You can talk about whatever you want to do. I've said all along that I'm not the smartest. I'm not the brightest. I've just dealt with a lot of things. Um, I know many people that are much smarter than me. Hell, I've trained JB. And if I got fired, I'd want him to represent me more than I'd want me to represent me. That's how good he is. (laughs) So, you know, whatever. Uh, I love each and every one of you, though. And like I said, you ever in trouble, I'll come running. I'll come running. I promise you that. I'm going to read a few more things, and I'm going to get to this, uh, what I was going to do on this episode. This is kind of funny, and I wanted to read it because this guy sent it to me. And this is what came out over the scanner. Good morning, carrier. Why are you not on your route? This came over the scanner now. Good morning, carrier. Why are you not on your route? And he says, I don't know what you mean by asking me why I'm not on my route. I don't need to answer that. And I don't answer any questions starting with a why. <laughs> now that, that is funny. Uh, but he says, I don't know what you mean by asking me why I'm not on my route. I don't need to answer that. And I don't answer any questions starting with a why. <laughs> That's good. Then he said this, uh, please not spy on me. I don't like stalkers. If there's a problem, come to me, please. Thank you. <laughs> so that's a good way to respond to scanner messages when they come across. He said, I'm not answering any questions. It starts with a why. You know why? That's accusatory. <laughs> he says, and please don't spy on me. I don't like stalkers. So that's a beautiful way of addressing uh, scanner messages. I thought that was, when he sent me that, I was cracking up, man. I thought that was hysterical. I don't answer any questions starting with a why. <laughs> uh there's another scanner message somebody sent to me where I saw it says, uh, you appears, you appears, you took two breaks. Call the office now. Thank you. You appears, you took two breaks. Call the office now. Thank you. Uh, I'm not calling the office. I'm just not doing it. When I get back, if you want to talk to me, I'll have a shop steward present with me. But when you say you took, you appears, you took two breaks. Call the office now. Thank you. That's intimidation. When we talk about take breaks as needed in accordance with the M1806, M1806, where it talks about those uh, mandatory standards, take breaks as needed in the heat. When you say it appears you took two breaks, call the office now. Thank you. What you're doing is you're trying to intimidate me not to take breaks as needed. That's what that is. That's kind of that subliminal message, if you will. When you say it appears you took two breaks, call the office. When I get back, I'm going to bring my steward with me and say, what are you talking about? It appears I took two breaks. How many breaks do I get? You get this many breaks. What about breaks as needed in the heat? Do you agree that I get to take breaks as needed in the heat? Yes. Then why are you sending this message? Then you're going to get you an article 14 and 19 via 1806, where you're putting out messages that appear to say you're taking too many breaks. I don't care if I win it or lose it. 
I'm going to file on this every single time. When you talk about 134 of the M39 handbook, stationary events, I'm filing on this every time until the business agent said, hey, look here, that's 35 grievances. I'm not going to send those forward. I'm going to tank those. And I'm going to say, damn it, I hate that you have that opinion on that. Uh, and I'm still going to file it because I will not have my carriers intimidated, rushed, and bullied on these scanners about how many breaks I take as needed in this heat. And that's what they are doing when they put out these scanner messages, just like the one that they have down there in Dallas about no stationary events, beat the heat, keep it moving. That's a deadly message. I had scan, uh, when I talked about deadly scanner messages, Last year on this podcast, I talked about grieving unsafe scanner messages. Why? Because those, me those scanner messages are potentially deadly. And to the gentleman who didn't like me saying that management killed him, this is how I talk. This is how I think. I think in worst terms. <laughs> worst case scenarios is what I think about. When you put out on the scanner... Beat the heat, no stationary events, keep it moving. To me, that's deadly. That's a potentially deadly message. And like I had that episode a year ago, defeating unsafe scanner messages. Remember that? I've dealt with this before. I've dealt with this before because management does not care about your safety. They only care about the numbers. They will only care about the numbers. They will always only care about the numbers. We are the ones who have to make them accountable under Article 14 because they are the ones responsible for my health and my safety. It is management's responsibility, right? So anytime you see these scanner messages, I'd grieve the shit out of them until they just sent scanner messages asking me if I need any help. I wanted to read this. I wanted to read this. This is another newspaper article that came out where they were talking about the heat and hip and all that and um, the death of Mr. Gates and management, how they do us. And here's what the USPS said. Albert Ruiz, senior public relations representative for the USPS, said in a statement to Best Life, in connection with the HIP, the Postal Service provides mandatory heat-related and other safety training and instruction to all employees and assures they have the resources needed to do their job safely. Carriers are reminded to ensure they're hydrated, wear appropriate clothing, including hats, get in the shade whenever possible, and take sufficient amounts of water and ice with them out on their routes. Carriers are further instructed to contact 911 in the event they begin experiencing any symptoms of heat exhaustion or heat stroke, and they are provided with information to help them identify the symptoms associated with these two forms of heat illness. Read the original article on Best Life. So here's Albert Ruiz. He's saying that they do this HIP training. The Postal Service provides mandatory heat-related and other safety training. I'd get that and put in my contentions. They provide mandatory heat training. And where are we saying that management has falsified that? They're out in the public. They're out there winning public opinion, stating that, hey, we provide this heat training. We provide HIP training. The Postal Service provides mandatory heat-related and other safety training and instructions to all employees and assures they have the resources needed to do their job safely. Carriers are reminded to ensure they're hydrated, wear appropriate clothing, including hats, get in the shade whenever possible, 
and take sufficient amounts of water and ice with them out on their routes. We need to collect all of these scanner messages, thousands upon thousands of scanner messages. The NLC headquarters should say any scanner message that says anything contrary to this, send us a screenshot of it. Send us a screenshot of every message that says anything other than take breaks as needed in this heat. Anything that says keep moving. Anything that talks about stationary events. Anything that talks about how many breaks you're taking. Why are you here? Why are you there? Anything that talks about that, send screenshots to this email at headquarters, and we're going to accumulate all of those. They've come out with this email now talking about, hey, any falsification, send it to us. That's a great step. Let's go further. Any of these scanner messages that, that say anything contrary to take breaks is needed in this heat, we're going to get those and we're going to formulate all of this into a huge, massive grievance. And we're going to take that in front of national arbitrator, whoever, and we're going to say, hey, this is management's position to the public. This is management's position to the public people trying to sway public opinion on us. They're saying that all of these things are provided. Here's the actual data. Here's the actual information, Mr. Arbitrator, to show that nationwide management has falsified the very training that they're telling newspapers and the public that they did. This mandatory stuff. This is what they're telling, the, the trying to sway public opinion. They're telling people a lie, which is what they do, which is what they do. But here's the evidence, Mr. Arbitrator. In 95% of the country that we have polled, the evidence shows that management intentionally falsified this HIP training. These are the scanner messages that are being sent out to carriers in this heat. These are the scanner messages. These are the start times that have been changed to go further into the heat, even though we asked them not to. Now, Congress is all over that. Congress is all over that right now. But these are the things that management's doing to keep us safe. They're falsifying our hip training. They're telling carriers, no breaks, keep it moving. They're keeping us out into the heat longer. They refuse to let us stick our DPS during June, July, and August, things that will keep us out of the heat, uh, things that will make us faster on the street. Uh, all of these things we could be doing during the summer months to change the environment of the city letter care, Mr. Arbitrator, and management has done everything humanly possible to keep us in a deadly situation. When I talked about Mr. Getz saying that the ops said that we would not be able to stick DPS because it would ruin efficiency, those things need to be shown to a national arbitrator, to Congress. This is how the Postal Service feels about its employees. We got a fan in our vehicle that reaches over 130 degrees. That makes it a microwave oven. All you're doing is blowing around hot air. It's a microwave oven in there. We need to show thermometers in the vehicles that show 110, 15, 20, 130 degrees in that vehicle if you want real change. A shit storm is coming and we need to be we need to make sure that we're the ones forcing it. That's what we need to be doing. You want to change things nationally? You want to change things nationally about the environment of the city letter care during the summer, the time that most of us succumb to any kind of issues? This is what you have to do. You caught them with their pants down nationally. You've got to jump on them and bludgeon them, man. I talked about last week dragging them into the deeps. They have got to rue the day they ever decided to falsify this training. And it's 100% because it was a 20-minute video. That's 100% of the reason that it was falsified, because of these metrics I'd have that AVP testify in front of Congress. When you talk about metrics, uh, 
Do you think that you're saying that you need to carry us out of the uh, office in an hour? Do you think the falsification of this training had anything to do with that, sir? No. How not? How not? You said that there's these metrics. I'd like to see the metrics that you're talking about, sir. These are the metrics. So you've got nationally a falsification of training, a 20-minute video, and you don't think that those two things coincide with each other. These are things that I would love to see. I want to see them called out so they'll never put out some dumbass shit like that ever again. Gloating about how they have done us, about us being cattle. Those are the things that I would love to see. When you talk about the hour office time, it's astonishing what we've done there. Breaking down stationary events, it's astonishing what we've done there. And then you're going to say that I've got someone deceased and that had nothing to do with that? Like this gentleman on Facebook, it's our responsibility. We do what we, we do, they do what they do, blah, blah, blah. That's fucking stupid. You've got to hold management accountable every fucking step of the way you hold them accountable. You grieve them into submission on things like this. I, I'm the type that I want to fight them all the time. I just do. I never want to stop fighting management in the grievance procedure. I never, I would never want to stop. If I was business agent, I would be, there would be so much training going on around my region. Every carrier on the workroom floor would be educated. Every carrier. I want warriors in my region. I don't want to be the smartest one in my region. I want everybody on the workroom floor to be smarter than me. Why? We'd be held in. We'd be hell then. I want every shop steward to be much smarter than Corey Walton. Why? Because we'd be hell. Because I do know some things. I've been hell in my time. I want every shop steward to be more educated than me. That's why I'm doing this. That's I'm, Everything that I know, I'm telling y'all. I want y'all to be much smarter than me. I trained JB. He's much smarter than me. Am I mad about that? No. Why? Because he's protecting me. <laughs> he's my formal A. If I got fired, I want him handling my business. Why? Because I know that he is smarter than me and he's going to get everything that he's got. That's why. That's what I want everybody in my region to be, is smarter than me. And we're going to fight management until they say, please stop. Every single station would have a manager in there that comes to me and asks if there's anything that I need. You will not have bullies long on the workroom floors in my region. In my region... If somebody came out and said, hey, this guy down here is doing it, I'm sending a team in immediately. I don't give a fuck what he's done. I'm sending a team in to let him know this is how it's going to be treated in this region. This is how things are going to be done in this region. You're not going to bully a carry on the workroom floor. You're going to treat us with respect at all times. We're not going to have dumbass scanner messages. We're going to grieve those. I would be hell on wheels in the region. That's what we need more of. Uh, we don't need milly mouth business agents. Y'all got to be elite. Y'all got to be elite. But y'all are starting to stand up, and, and that's fantastic. That is. I know I've been all over the place, but all these are screenshots. So when I'm coming to them, I'm having to go back to shit I've already read or already talked about. All right. Let's get into this, and I'll be done with it. It's, take, it's already taking much longer. And they were talking about that, too. I said, shouldn't be long. Two hours later, <laughs> I'm still talking. But... um this is crazy. And I think that this is a pattern that we deal with um, when when one 
part of the country starts doing something, I think that they pick up on that and start doing it everywhere. So one of the things that management has started doing is retaliating on us for requesting this HIP training and for filing these grievances. There's a lot of retaliation going on because they don't want to be caught. A lot of these uh, B-team decisions that came down to say they refused to say falsified, they said just do the training, they're not even doing the training now. They're still not doing the training, uh, and they're violating those uh, B-team decisions. That's why you don't give them any any break whatsoever. You can't. So they're now they're starting to file Article 15s on them because they're still not doing the training. These information requests we put in for it, they're, not, they're refusing to give us the information. We're having to grieve that. They tell them to give us the information a certain amount of time. They're still refusing to give us the information. That's rampant right now where management is refusing to give us the information we've requested. Uh, they're starting to threaten discipline on our carriers because we're putting in this uh, information for this HIP training. Anything that they can do right now, they're doing it to us. Uh, but one of the things, oddly enough, is they're telling us to quit going to the union hall <laughs> to have union time, which is an odd flex on management's part. That's an odd flex. But I've had about seven people this week email me saying that their managers are telling them, you can no longer use your union office. You can no longer use your union office. Uh, you have to do it here. You can no longer go off premises to do union work. You have to do it here. And so they called me and asked me. I did an episode on past practice. I believe it was 46. Episode 46, I believe. I'd have to look that up. But talked about past practice. But that's an Article 5 issue. <clears throat> that's an Article 5 issue. So if Madsen comes in, because if they're doing it, if you don't hear about that often, but six or seven people have messaged me saying this is what they're doing. Those things are generally uh, infectious. They're going to start spreading. And that may be a position that their AVPs are telling them, just fuck with them, don't let them go to the union office anymore. Uh, so we'll deal with that. That's an Article 5 issue. I've got two decisions that I'm going to read to you, and then I'll be done. But it's going to tell you everything that you need. It's two cases that I did in arbitration. One in front of Arbitrator August and one in front of Arbitrator Talmadge. And uh, so I'm going to read these two. It's going to tell you everything that you need to know. Now, Jeremy will put these up on the website. So anytime I hear something like this that kind of, if it piques my interest, if I'm hearing about four, five, six, seven people say, hey, this is happening, to me that's something that's fixing to spread. And I'm going to try to get you ready for it, okay? But like I said, it's an odd flex to say, hey, no more union time in this union building. You're going to have to come over here and do it right here. Uh, we're going to grieve that, okay? The first one is uh, Arbitrator Talmadge, and it's C34614, C34614, and this is back in 2020, and uh, and I'm just going to read the decision, both of them, one's from Arbitrator Talmadge in August, but I'm going to read them, and it'll tell you everything that you need to know. The issued management violated Article 5 of the National Agreement by changing the existing Valid past practice of allowing union stewards, including Stuart Kindler, on USPS-approved union time to conduct on-the-clock union duties off postal premises at the union office without providing the union notice and an opportunity to bargain in good faith. Accordingly, the grievance is sustained as a remedy. The long-standing practice of permitting stewards to conduct union duties off postal premises while on the clock is to be reinstated. 
The service is to cease and desist from unilaterally changing the established past practice without providing the union prior notice and an opportunity to bargain in good faith. Any future changes must be done in accordance with the National Agreement and JCAM at Article 5. Statement of the Issues Issue 1. Did management violate Article 5 of the National Agreement by not allowing union steward Lionel Kindler to conduct his union duties at the union office located off the Mandeville, Louisiana post office premises? 2. If so, what is the appropriate remedy? The Contract Provisions, Manuals, and Handbooks. Article 5. Prohibition of Unilateral Action and the JCAM, Prohibition on Unilateral Actions. Article 5 prohibits management taking any unilateral action inconsistent with the terms of the existing agreement or with its obligations under law. Section 8D of the National Labor Relations Act prohibits an employer from making unilateral changes in wages, hours, or working conditions during the term of a collective bargaining agreement. Findings of Facts According to NELC Branch President J.J. Mosley, approximately eight or more years ago, Manival Postmaster Benny Moshita decided to no longer permit the union to work on grievance processing investigations at the postal facility and told the union to find another place to do union work off postal premises. President Mosley and former shop stewards Mark Navy and Kent Nabel indicated that for the past eight years, the NELC Branch 6377 union representatives have been traveling to their union office at 901 Florida Avenue, Mandeville, Louisiana, on the clock for grievance processing and investigations. So this is eight years. The union began renting the union office on or about May 13, 2009, and is currently bound by a lease on their union office space. This practice of permitting shop stewards to travel on the clock to their union office off the postal premises for grievance processing and investigation continued while OIC Terry Harris and OIC Drew Sheremy were detailed to the Manuel Post Office. The union witness statements of Branch President J.G. Mosley and former stewards corroborated Steward Kindler's testimony that neither Postmaster Moshita, OIC Terry Harris, or OIC Drew Sheremy informed the union of any problems with the union representing representatives leaving the premises to perform union work. During February 2019, OIC Leslie Golden was detailed to the manual installation while Postmaster Mashita remains out on extended leave. Lionel Kindler, the steward located at the Mandeville Post Office, testified that on March 20, 2019, he had a disagreement with OIC Golden about interviewing a carrier off the postal premises. On March 21, 2019, OIC Golden sent a letter to the NLC Branch 6377 representatives in reference to union office location off-premises, which states, Please be advised that the off-premises union office location will not be utilized on the clock. Note that we have provided an office for both the NELC and APW at the Mandeville Post Office. There is a computer available for your use within that office and adequate printers in the building. There is a file cabinet that will be accommodate any current files. Please discuss with me your intent of adding your own equipment or adding locks or other security measures to any postal-owned equipment. Safety and accountability are my concern. Do not hesitate to confer with myself or management if we can further assist you. In response, Union President J.J. Mosley sent OIC Golden a letter dated March 20, 2019, which states in material part, Subject, Union Hall. References, Article 15 and 17 of the National Agreement, B. Postmaster Benny Mashita. 1. To whom it may concern, this union, 
North Shore Local Branch 6377, once had an office space in the conference room in the Vanderbilt Post Office. During the 2011-2016 contract agreement, Postmaster Benny Machida decided not to let the union work in the Mandeville Post Office. He told us that we had to find a place other than this post office to do union work, which we did. Two, since that conversation with Postmaster Benny Machida, this union moved to a place in Mandeville, Louisiana. We are located at 901 Florida Avenue, Mandeville, Louisiana. Our files, records, and equipment are kept in this building. For the last eight years, we have been working out of this office space, doing union work on and off the clock. Three, <clears throat> so if this office wishes to pay out our yearly contract and relocate this union back in the Mandeville Post Office Conference Room, we're willing to do so. Until then, we will continue to do business as usual. Four, further information concerning this matter should be addressed to J.J. Mosley. Stuart Kindler testified that OSC Golden did not offer to negotiate with the union concerning this proposed change to the existing past practice of permitting the union representatives to utilize their off-premises office to perform union business. Stuart Kendler testified that having moved into the room provided by the OSC for union business, there is no secure computer, so he brings his own laptop. There are no secure files, so he keeps the union files in his car, and he brought his own printer. The computer management offered Kendler was intended to be shared with the APWU, which was not secure. OSC Golden testified that it is more efficient and economical to have the union steward on site. She explained that management provided the union with an office and internet. Gold noted that the employees that the steward needs to interview to investigate grievances are located at the post office, as is the information that is requested, and it is where labor management meetings are held. Golden acknowledged under cross-examination that she did not do a study to show whether it is less efficient to have the union steward perform union business off-premises. And all it was there is that when she said that it is more economical, I just asked her to show me the studies proving that. Because if management's going to say something like that, I'm going to make you prove it. It's more efficient and more economical to have you stay here. Show me the studies that you did. Don't take their word for anything. When they say that it's more efficient, show me the studies that you did to show that it's more efficient. It's more economical, show me the studies that you did to show that it's more economical. And that's what I asked her. I said, Look, tell me in the case file, show me any study that you did to, to prove any one of those positions. And she didn't, she couldn't do it. And so I said, if you just show the arbitrator where it's more economical, well, it just is. I, I appreciate that. But what did you do? What did you look at? What did you find? What studies did you do to show that it's more economical? Didn't do any. So don't let them say things like that without holding them accountable. If they're going to say it's more efficient, what study did you do? All right? And that's all I did there with that. Union's position. The union has met its burden of proving that management has violated Article 5 of the National Agreement when it unilaterally ended the union's valid 10-year past practice of conducting official union duties on the clock at the local union hall. OIC Golden unilaterally ended the practice when she sent the letter dated May 21st, 2019, stating that off-premise union office location will not be utilized on the clock. The JCAM 5-4 provides that the Postal Service seeks to change or terminate a binding past practice implementing conditions of employment concerning areas where the contract is silent. Article 5 prohibits it from doing so unilaterally without providing the union appropriate notice and engage in good faith bargaining over the impact of the bargaining unit. 
At no time did management attempt to engage in good faith bargaining before sending out their eviction notice. In accordance with Article 5, management cannot unilaterally end an established past practice. To change an established past practice, management must provide notice and bargain in good faith. Management did not provide notice or bargain in good faith to change the established past practice. Throughout the steps of the grievance procedure, management made no rebuttal to the union's position, provided no statements from any manager or supervisor in defense of their position, and failed to challenge the union's contention that there was a legitimate past practice. The union requested that grievance be sustained for a remedy. The union requested, and I already read that, postal services position. Now, these will always help you when you're looking at arbitration decisions. Most of the time, the services position will be the same. So when you look at past practice grievances, their position will be the same. And this is how you can educate yourself is find as many arbitration decisions that you can, whether it's wins or losses, and just read them because it helps you with an issue, helps you with a remedy, helps you with the contract provisions that you need. So anytime you can get your hands on as many arbitration decisions as you can, read them. Read them and keep on reading them. So here's the Postal Service position. Management did not violate Article 5 of the National Agreement by changing the past practice of allowing union stewards to perform daily duties on the clock off the premises at their local union hall. OIC Golden followed the required steps to end this past practice. She sent the union president a letter informing him of her intention and wrote, Do not hesitate to confer with myself or management if we can further assist. This was an attempt by management to open the lines of communication. The union's president's response, stating that either management pays out the contract on the union hall or they will continue to do business at the union hall, was a violation of the management employee relationship. Union officials are employees of the Postal Service, and the time spent on union business is paid for by the service. No employee has the right to dictate to management how to run operations. When employees have an issue with instructions, they are to follow instructions and grieve later. OIC Golden testified that the decision to end the past practice was for safety and efficiency reasons. The majority of the union's work needs to be conducted at the post office where the carriers are based and where interviews with carriers or representing carriers at investigative interviews occurs. The post office is where the information is located for information requests, where grievances are filed, and the informal and formal lay meetings are held. It is more efficient to have the stewards at the post office during normal business hours. Furthermore, allowing union officials to travel back and forth from the union hall to the post office on the clock created an unnecessary financial liability should the steward get into an accident on the route and on the clock. The union's assertion that they were forced into a lease of the union hall when Postmaster Mashita allegedly forced them to rent this hall to perform union duties is not credible and was not corroborated by any documented evidence by Mashita that such a mandate exists. The union president letter acknowledges that the union hall is used for off-the-clock activities. Management is not saying that the union cannot use their union hall to conduct business after hours. Additionally, the union's documents indicate that they began renting their hall in 2009. Although the union president wrote in his letter to Golden that during the 2011-2016 contract agreement, Postmaster Mashita decided not to let the union work in the post office. Thus, 
Any purported mandate would not have occurred until several years after the union began renting their hall. The union's request punitive remedy of $200 lump sum payment to the union for a breach of contract is not supported by the national agreement and would exceed the remedial powers vested in the arbitrator. Many arbitrators have declined to impose punitive remedies because contractual remedies are intended to be compensatory and punitive remedies do not foster a promotion of harmonious labor relations. Based on the above, the union has not proven a violation of Article 5 of the National Agreement. The service requests that the agreement be denied in its entirety. Now, a lot of y'all will hear those same contentions. All right? So when you listen to that, a lot of y'all will have to deal with those same contentions from management. All right? Because generally they're the same. Here's the discussion. At issue is whether the service violated the National Agreement and the National Labor Relations Act as incorporated by, and by reference in Article 5, when management unilaterally changed the long-standing past practice of permitting the union stewards to perform union duties off-premises while on the clock. The union has met its burden of proof to establish a contractual violation. Article 3 of the National Agreement provides that management has exclusive rights to maintain the efficiency of the operations entrusted to it and to determine the methods, means, and personnel by which such operations are to be conducted. Subject to the provisions of this agreement, management's authority to maintain efficiency of the operations is restricted only by the existence of specific contractual limitations. The union argues that when OIC Golden sent the union the March 21, 2019 letter stating, please be advised that the off-premises union office location will not be utilized on the clock, the service violated Article 5 of the National Agreement, which incorporates the terms of the National Labor Relations Act, by unilaterally changing condition of employment, as defined by Section 8D of the NERA, without providing the union with prior notice and an opportunity to bargain in good faith. The union presented evidence of an established eight-plus-year past practice permitting the union stewards to perform on-the-clock union duties off-premises. The practice began during the 2011-2016 local negotiations when Postmaster Mashida informed the union that he wanted the union to find a place other than the post office to perform union work, and the union moved to the union hall to perform those duties. In Arbitrator Menthol's discussion of the elements of a valid past practice, which had been incorporated into the JCAM, July 2014, pages 5-2, pages 5-4, he noted that there should be clarity and consistency, longevity and repetition, acceptability, mutuality by the parties, and every practice must be carefully related to its origin and purpose. In the present case, all of the criteria were met to establish a binding past practice in which for at least eight years the union stewards at the Mandeville Post Office permitted to perform on-the-clock union duties off-premises. There was no dispute that over at least eight years the union stewards at the Mandeville Post Office, when granted approved union time, traveled to the union hall to complete those duties. The benefit had been consistent and without objection. The practice was established at the direction of Postmaster Mashita, who asked the union stewards to leave the post office to perform union duties, thus establishing that management supported the practice that it was mutually accepted by the parties. The longevity of the practice demonstrated it served a purpose. The ongoing eight years of this practice, which continued while various officers in charge were detailed to the Manual Post Office, reflects evidence of a long-standing and mutually accepted practice. Arbitrator Menthol noted that one of the functions of PAC's practice is to implement separate conditions of employment. 
Past practice can establish a separate enforceable condition of employment concerning issues where the contract is silent. This is referred to by a variety of terms, but the one most frequently used is the silent contract. For example, a past practice of providing the local union with a file cabinet may become a binding past practice even though there are no contract or LMOU's provisions concerning the issue. Thus, a clear and long-standing past practice can establish a condition of employment. Past practices mutually accepted by the parties will attain the status of contractual rights and duties, where they are not at variance with any written provision in the contract. Although the National Agreement provides for on-the-clock time afforded to union stewards with permission to perform various union duties, such as investigating grievances and interviewing witnesses, the contract does not address whether those duties are to be performed on or off the premises. And that's good language for y'all, okay? And to perform union duties such as investigating grievances and interviewing witnesses, the contract does not address whether those duties are to be performed on or off the premises. That's a little nugget for you, all right? That's good. Therefore, the past practice of having the stewards perform union duties off-premises while on the clock does not conflict with the terms of the national agreement. Management may have a right to eliminate an otherwise binding past practice where the underlying basis for the practice has been changed. National arbitrator Carlton Snow has held, it is logical to expect that the party asserting a change in underlying circumstances will provide evidence of the assertion. It should be shown that the past practice has become unsafe to persons or property or that it is inefficient and uneconomical or that there is a change in the nature of the business performed, or that there has been some technological change in the operation of the plant. It is also recognized that a change in the bargaining unit may also relate a need for some change in a past practice. In an arbitration proceeding, however, there must be more than mere speculation about such matters. In this case, OIC Golden indicated in her letter that the reason she was changing the past practice of allowing union stewards to perform union duties off-premises while on the clock and requiring them to perform these duties at the post office was because of safety and accountability concerns. She also testified that having the steward perform union duties at the post office be more efficient. Although these are valid considerations, there was no substantiating evidence presented to indicate that permitting the union stewards to perform on-the-clock union duties off-premises led to an increase in safety or accountability issues. There were no reports or studies of any increase in safety issues or lack of accountability by the stewards as a result of the existing PACS practice. OIC Golden acknowledged that she had not performed any studies that supported her contention that having the stewards perform union duties at the post office was more efficient. Thus, I find that there was no evidence to support a finding that the stewards' practice of performing union duties off-premises while on the clock had an impact on the safety or accountability concerns briefly mentioned in Golden's letter. I conclude that permitting Stewart to perform union duties with approval on the clock while off-premises was an established past practice that had become binding at the local level. By unilaterally changing a mutually accepted benefit established by practice, the employer violated Article 5 of the National Agreement. Article 5 states, the employer will not take any actions affecting wages, hours, and other terms and conditions of the employment as defined in Section 8D of the National Labor Relations Act, which violate the terms of this agreement 
or are otherwise inconsistent with its obligation under law. The steward's opportunity to perform union duties on the clock and off-premises constituted a condition of employment as defined in Section 8D of the National Labor Relations Act. In a similar matter, Arbitrator August, and that's the one I took with me that I had won, held that management violated Article 5 when they attempted to unilaterally terminate the valid past practice of allowing union stewards on USPS-approved union time to travel to the union hall to complete their union duties. See also Arbitrator August citing to Arbitrator Barrett. And that's another good way for you to find a lot of sites easily. When arbitrators cite other arbitrators, and that's what I do when I go into arbitration. If I find an arbitrator and he cites three or four, I'm going to pull up those three or four, and that saves me a lot of time of finding uh, arbitration decisions for persuasive value. I'll find those decisions in their decisions that they cite, and I'll use them as well. And that's what she's doing here. Uh, a similar uh, arbitrator August citing to arbitrator Barrett. Reviewing a similar issue in which he found clear and convincing evidence that management did violate, violate Article 5 of the party's agreement and applicable law in the manner by which they attempted to unilaterally move the union from the space long allocated for their own purposes. The employer's actions violated the terms of national agreement and were inconsistent with its obligation under law. Section 8D of the NLRA requires the parties to bargain in good faith. The employer may not unilaterally change a mandatory subject of bargaining without providing the union with prior notice and an opportunity to bargain in good faith to re resolution or impasse. Arbitrator Menthol, as cited above, also discusses changing past practices that implement separate conditions of employment. If the Postal Service seeks to change or terminate a binding past practice implementing conditions of employment concerning areas where the contract is silent, Article 5 prohibits it from doing so unilaterally without providing the union appropriate notice to the union and engage in good faith bargaining over the impact on the bargaining unit. If the parties are unable to agree, the union may grieve the change. Management changes in such silent contracts are generally not considered violations if the company changes owners or bargaining unit, two, the nature of the business changes, or three, the practice is no longer efficient or economical. A change in local union leadership or the arrival of a new postmaster or supervisor is not in itself sufficient justification to change or terminate a binding past practice as noted in the previous paragraph. I do not find that management provided the union with prior notice and an opportunity to bargain in good faith. OIC Golden provided a notice to the union of her intent to terminate the practice which had been in existence for over eight years. Nonetheless, she did not first engage in good faith bargaining before determining what changes, if any, could be made regarding this separate enforceable condition of employment. Article 5 of the National Agreement placed the responsibility upon management to provide notice to the union and to engage in good faith bargaining with local union representatives before making a final decision to terminate the practice. Good faith Good faith bargaining requires a give and take between the parties. Management did not offer the union the opportunity to engage in good faith bargaining about management's decision and the impacts of that decision to change the valid past practice, including whether the safety and accountability concerns could be addressed. Golden's letter to the union expressly stating, please be advised that the off-premises union office location will not be utilized on the clock was a directive requiring the union steward to now perform all the on-the-clock union duties at the post office. 
Golden's letter was merely apprised the union she had been made the decision to implement the change. The letter only offered some discussion about whether the room and supplies being offered were sufficient. Union steward Kindler testified that some of his concerns, including the ability to maintain confidentiality, access to locking fine cabinets, and a secure computer and printer, in addition to space which can be locked by the union, some of these issues, Kindler testified, have not been met, and as a result, he maintains the union files in his car for safety and confidentiality and uses his own laptop. Thus, the union established that the parties had a clear and consistent long-standing past practice of permitting the union stewards at Mandeville Post Office to conduct on-the-clock union business off the post office premises at the union office. That practice became a binding part of the collective bargaining agreement between the parties. The service violated Article 5 of the National Agreement when it unilaterally implemented a change eliminating the existing past practice without providing the union with notice and an opportunity to bargain in good faith to resolution or impasse. Moreover, there were no extenuating circumstances would have allowed the service to act without first engaging the union in good faith negotiations. For the re- foregoing reasons, the grievance is sustained and the parties are to return to status quo ante. And that's her decision. That's a long read. Sorry. I know that's boring as hell. But those things are huge. When you can read those to you, you can hear the language that's being used. You hear management's arguments. And the more of those you read, the more you'll be prepared for when you grieve things. You'll already know in advance what their arguments are going to be and what your arguments or what your rebuttal will be. When they talk about we've done these studies, it's it's not economical, it's not safe. Show me the studies that you've done. And you can say that at the formal meeting. And here I had to bring that up as a new argument, but they didn't ask. Because I just said, when you say that it's more efficient, show the arbitrator the studies that you've done to show that it's less efficient for us to do this that we've been doing for eight years. You couldn't do it. When you say that it's not safe, show the arbitrator what you've done. How many accidents have occurred when you say that? Because you said that it's not safe, which means that there has been an issue in the past. You didn't say that it potentially could be unsafe. So show the arbitrator what studies you've done as far as that's concerned. They couldn't do it. So anytime management makes a contention, make sure that you rebut that contention. If they're saying it's not efficient, what have you done to show that? It's no longer safe. Why do you say that? What did you produce that shows that it's no longer safe? Make sure that we're doing that when we combat contentions from management wherever they're at. If it's an in the informal and they're saying that on the record, write it down. If they're saying it's not efficient any longer and they don't have contentions, you write down it in the informal a meeting. Management stated that it's no longer efficient, yet they provided no documentation to support that position. At the formal a meeting, management came to the table with these contentions, yet in their contentions, they have no studies, nothing done to show that it was less sufficient, no studies done that there was uh, it was less safe. None of these things have been done. This is an arbitrary and capricious attempt by management to put restraints on the union or however you want to say it, okay? Uh, don't let them get away with things, saying things without us rebutting that. And we've been talking about that a long time, way back to my Formal A episodes. Uh, I'm going to read one more and then I'll be done with it. This episode is way too long, but uh, one more and then I'll be done with This is Arbitrator August. Uh, the date of this award was January 20th, uh, and it dealt with a um, past practice, and I'll tell you what was funny about this case here. But this is out of Tennessee, Clarksville. 
the grievances sustained management violated the national agreement at Article 5 when they attempted to unilaterally terminate the valid past practice of allowing union stewards on USPS-approved union time to travel to the union hall to complete their union duties. Management must immediately reinstate and continue this valid past practice. Any future changes must be done in accordance with the National Agreement and JCAM at Article 5. Now, the funny thing about these grievances is that they all started coming out at the same time, kind of like they're doing now. It's kind of a wave of this across the country where uh, we were sending grievances back and forth to everybody, decisions back and forth to different regions because management had come out with this, no longer allow union officials to go to union halls. They have to do their work at the union, at the post office. And so this is kind of a wave of this, kind of what's going on now. Uh, it's just odd that six or seven people would reach out to me this week saying that, hey, when I put in these information requests on this hip, when they were saying, just let us do the training, we're saying, no, we're going to hold them accountable. They told us not to go to the union hall. Uh, I think that that's a wave of that that'll fix and happen. So as we like to do on this, ep- on this podcast, I'm going to try to get us ahead of it, okay, as much as we can. I'll try to get us ahead of that wave. And so here's just a couple of sites that will get you jump-started uh, for those of you who they're trying to do that to. And I look for that to, to happen more and more, okay? And so here's just a couple of sites to help get your arguments ready, your issue, your remedy, kind of what management's position will be so that you'll be ready for that, how you're going to combat it. Make sure you get into Article 5. They're, they've got bullet points of the things that they must do, the criteria, Read it, read it, read it, and read it some more, Article 5, and make sure that you you meet all of those criteria, and that will help your uh, case immensely. Uh, She goes over the relevant conflict language, but she has the issue. Did local management violate Articles 15, 17, and 31 during the processing of this grievance? If so, what is the remedy? Uh, Two, did local management violate Articles 3 or 5 of the National Agreement when they issued a letter to the local branch to stop a valid past practice of stewards going to the local union hall to perform grievance handling? If so, what is the appropriate remedy? So there's your remedy for you, okay? I'm not going to read the contract language because I did it just did it on uh, Talmadge, but it's got Article 3, Article 5, Article 17, Article 19, and then facts. This case surrounds the service's decision to end an alleged past practice where union stewards from the Clarksville, Tennessee Post Office traveled to the local union hall to handle grievances. On August 5, 2019, the postmaster at Clarksville issued a letter to the local NALC branch president notifying him of management's intent to terminate the past practice. The postmaster in his letter stated the practice was an ex- exercise in discretion and that there was no intention of a future commitment. He went on to notify the union that the practice would end 30 days after the union's receipt of the notification. The union filed the instant grievance alleging management violated the national agreement at Article 5 when the union allowedly terminated the past practice of allowing stewards at Clarksville to process their grievances at the local union office. The union further alleged that during the processing of the grievance in the case at Barr, Management violated Articles 15, 17, and 31. A hearing was held on December 6, 2019 at the Clarksville Post Office. Uh, And then just some other stuff. Union's contentions. The union contended that management arbitrarily terminated the past practice of the local union performing requested union time at the local union hall. They further contended that on the August 5, 2019, Postmaster John Griner issued a letter to local branch president Ray Mackey that stated in part, 
Dear Mr. Mackey, please accept this letter as advance notification of management's intent to discontinue what the union may consider a past practice of the union representatives performing steward's duties at the Branch 354 Union Hall located at 2405 uh, Clarksville. Management allowing steward duties to be performed at the branch was an exercise in discretion, and there was management no intention of a future commitment. This Practice will end 30 days from your receipt of this notification. According to the union, management failed to reach out to the union to allow them to bargain in good faith about changing the practice of stewards performing their duties at the union hall prior to the issuance of this eviction notice. So both people talked about eviction notices. The union argued that in determining whether past practice existed, one must review the opinion of National Arbitrator Richard Mintenthal, where in a paper given to the National Academy, of arbitrators, he described the elements regarding the establishment of valid past practice. And she's got those in there that Talmadge has just talking about the bullet points. According to the union, it would have been impossible for this type of practice to continue for some 25 years without being supported by mutuality. They noted that the practice was likely born out of a joint understanding of the stewards' desire to have available to them the vast resources provided at the union hall. The union argued that the practice apparently did not affect operations in the Clarksville Post Office based on the number of years that practice was allowed to exist. In support of their position, the union cited the opinion of arbitrator Joanne Nixon, and this is one that I turn in for persuasive value, and that's why you do that, right? Where she replied upon National Arbitrator Carlton Snow's conclusions about how to determine the existence of a past practice. The union noted that in this case number, arbitrator Joanne Nixon reviewed the existence of a past practice and opined, in examining the aforementioned case, I reviewed the decision of National Arbitrator Carlton Snow in this case, where arbitrator Snow addressed the impact of practice, stating, the largest hurdle to overcome in using a past practice analysis is establishing the existence of a practice. When there is evidence the parties have mutually agreed that a practice existed for a period of time, even if it is unclear what, which contract revision was thought to have governed, the practice must be deemed established. The point is that a collective bargaining agreement includes more than the written provisions in a printed document as the United Supreme, States Supreme Court has recognized. A labor contract also included understanding and mutually accepted practices which had developed between the parties during their relationship. In the grievances submitted to the arbitrator in this particular case, it was the mutually accepted practice of the parties at least prior to mid-1987 to make temporary T6 vacancies available for opting by the senior most qualified employees. As I stated in that decision, while arbitrator Snow addressed past practice, he emphasized the fact that it must be well established. When there is evidence the parties had mutually agreed that a practice existed for a period of time, even if it is unclear which contractual provisions was thought to have governed, the practice must be deemed established. In the instant case, there is no doubt the past practice existed, and even management and step contentions conceded they made a unilaterally change to the past practice. And then she's got the uh, language in Article 5. It was the position of the union that management at Clarksville never attempted to bargain in good faith after sending the notification referenced in the grievance file. It was the union's contention that at the informal A meeting, they themselves made an attempt at bargaining in good faith. And they noted that the union attempted to plead their case, but there was no resolution, thus the instance grievance was filed. 
Finally, the union argued Article 5 does not state that it is the responsibility of the union to set a meeting date with management to negotiate changes to a past practice. They further argued that it is management's obligation on Article 5 to negotiate and notify. In the, in the case at bar, the union contended that management violated Article 5 when they arbitrarily ended the past practice of stewards performing their union duties at the local union hall. The union asserted that when union steward time is requested and approved, it is understood that the writing, investigation, and adjustments of grievances is performed by the steward of the local union hall, Branch 364 NLC. The union requested that this arbitrator sustain the grievance and the grant the requested remedy that local management continue the past practice, which has lasted more than 25 years, allowing local union stewards to travel to the local union hall while on steward time. I know this is a lot of great, a lot of reading and my tongue's getting tired, but what was so funny about this case? If you know Ray Mackey, this guy is an expert at all things, okay? He's an expert at the contract. Uh, he is uh, on B team. I mean, this guy knows his stuff. So I've got a TA with me, right? They're sitting there with me. And Ray's fixing to get up there and testify. And so I asked Ray about Article 5. And the J-Cam's in front of him. He don't even crack it open. And so I said, uh, Mr. Mackey, would you please talk to the uh, arbitrator about your position on Article 5? And so I look over to the TA and I just said, watch this. <laughs> Ray starts quoting Article 5. Never cracks the J-Cam open. Just starts quoting Article 5. I've got the J-Cam open on my side of Article 5, and I'm just pointing at it to my TA. He's reading it verbatim, just quoting it verbatim down through there. Well, on page 5-4, you'll see that blah, 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 blah. He just, he's quoting Article 5 of the arbitrator. You can see on her face, he's like, well, shit, that's impressive as hell. Uh, that means the world. Now, not most anybody cannot do that. Ray is just an exception. But it was hysterical because when I asked Ray uh, about Article 5, I just told the TA that was with me, I said, hey, watch this right here. He never, he's just sitting there, just arm folded. Well, Article 5, blah, 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 blah. He just starts quoting the shit. Uh, that was one of the more impressive things I've ever had in arbitration is Ray quoting Article 5 to the arbitrator. I thought that was pretty damn neat. Anyway, management's contentions. Management contended that appropriate notice was provided to the NLC local union at Clarksville, Tennessee, prior to making unilateral change in compliance with the Joint Contract Administration Manual. According to the service, John Griner, postmaster at Clarksville, provided four methods of communication for the union to contact him to discuss the notification. The service asserted that the union failed to contact him to engage in negotiations, and management was not made aware of the union's concerns until the informally meeting held on August 22, 2019. When I talk about arbitration decision, when I talk about management's position will almost always be the same. You see the two decisions here, management's issues were the same. We sent them a letter. They didn't get back to us. We sent them a letter. They never got with us on what they wanted us to do. Uh, the only time we knew they had an issue with this was when they filed a grievance. The arguments are the same. We put out this notification. They just grieved it, and they never came back to us and, and discussed it with us. So they're trying to say that we're the ones in violation because we failed to bargain in good faith. When you send me a letter and you say, hey, you have 30 days to get back here, <laughs> to leave your place and get back here, you, I'm going to end the practice within 30 days if you go into the union hall. 
You're not barring me in good faith. You already told me what you're doing. There is no give and take there. You didn't say, hey, I'm attempting, or I'm looking at, or I'm thinking about making y'all do your union time at the post office on the clock rather than at the union hall. Let's discuss. That may be an attempt. When you say you've got 30 days and you're going to be doing your union time here on the clock at the post office, that is not a give and take. That is not what that notice is saying. The notice is telling me that you've already made up your mind. I can discuss with you any details, but you're telling me that I've got 30 days. You've already made up your mind what you're going to do. And that's what we were saying in both of these hearings. When you send out a notice saying, hey, you're no longer going to be able to work off the clock or on the clock at the union hall. You're going to have to do it here. You've already done your, you've already made your decision. You've already made that. So we're going to grieve that. And that's what we did here. And what they stated was what? The union's the one who failed to bargain good faith. They never got back to me when I sent them this eviction notice, as we called it. It was the position of management that the informal and formal meetings were held prior to the end of the 30-day notice period. And the union was provided the opportunity to negotiate but failed to do so. And that's another thing. Most people say, when do you grieve the letter? Do you grieve it when you have it? Or do you grieve it at the end of the, when they start enforcing the letter. That's a, that's a slippery slope. You have to have arguments for both of them. I always say you grieve the letter because you've already determined your action. And Ray grieved the letter. When he got the letter, he grieved the letter. Because you've already told me what you're going to do. I don't want to give management the option or the opportunity to say, they grieve this, we haven't even done it yet. That's just a letter saying we want to do. We haven't even done the action yet. Why are they grieving this? What I don't want them to say is, when we grieve it after the 30 days, hey, I gave him this letter 30 days ago. It's untimely now. It's untimely now because I told you 30 days what we're going to do. And you didn't grieve it. So it's now it's untimely. So I'd rather be safe than sorry. When they say, hey, we're going to do this. We're doing this in 30 days. I'm going to go ahead and grieve it because you already told me exactly what you're going to do. And that's what Ray did here. So that's what they're talking about. When they say it was the position of management that the informal and formal meetings were held prior to the end of the 30-day notice period. Yes, because you already told me what you're going to do to me. And units provide the opportunity to negotiate but fail to do so. According to the service, management was not required to specifically ask the union if they wanted to negotiate. And the union, rather than make a request to negotiate, filed the instant grievance. The service contended that as a remedy, the union requested local management will continue the valid past practice of local union stewards to travel to the local union hall while on steward time. They further contended that the remedy request confirms that the local union stewards were in fact on stewards time paid by the postal service while they were traveling to the local union hall. Management argued that this is not required by the national agreement and as a practice which is not economical as testified by the Clarksville postmaster. Management cited the JCAM regarding making changes in these types of silent contracts. Management changes in, si in such silent contracts are generally not considered violations, one, if the company changes ownership or bargaining unit, two, the nature of the business changes, three, the practice is no longer efficient or economical, and that's the one you are going to hear about most in y'all's contentions. The first of these has rarely risen in the Postal Service cases involving its numerous bargaining units. Management disputed the union's contention that the postmaster's new arrival and has failed to bargain in good faith regarding this silent contract. 
According to management, Postmaster Griner is not a new arrival as he arrived in Clarksville in April of 2018. The service contended that in the instant case, the union failed to meet their burden of proof. They further contended that the evidence of record fails to demonstrate how the end of the practice would negatively impact the duties to be performed by a steward. It was argued by management that the pictures included by the union in the grievance file serves only to demonstrate the local uh, location of the union hall and the facility available to them. Management further argued that the union failed to demonstrate how the union's ability to investigate, process, and prepare grievances would be negatively impacted in any way, shape, form, or fashion with the steward being required to perform union duties at the Postal Service. The service asserted that the very room where the arbitration hearing was held was the space proposed for the, un- the steward to complete his union duties. Management maintained that the room is spacious and accommodating to meet all the union's needs. Finally, management argued that the steward's duties are performed while the steward is on the clock and being paid by the Postal Service. In this case, contended management, the service is exercising its right to ensure the efficiency of the operations as well as working to, working to diminish safety-related concerns. Do you see what I'm talking about? Their arguments must always will all be the same. Now, efficiency and safety, just like down there in Mandeville. This is all the way up in Clarksville, Tennessee. Down in Mandeville, what they say? Efficiency and safety, right? They're saying it here. It's got to be some kind of national template that they're sending out saying these are the arguments you're going to make. Here, management further contended the union failed to provide evidence of any Articles 15, 17, and 31 violations during the processing of the instant grievance. Management argued that the union also failed to prove the management violated Articles 3 and 5 since their service completing all requirements to end a past practice. According to management, the postmaster provided notice and offered contact methods for the union to discuss the matter. The service maintained that the union failed to request negotiations and missed the opportunity to do so. Based on the union's failure to meet their burden to prove management violated the national agreement, management requested that the grievance in the case of Barr be denied its entirety. And then she goes over several pages of Article 5. She puts all of that in here, which will be good for you. And then it's her discussion. So she put in about three pages of all of Article 5 contract language. And here's what she says. The issue in this case at Barr is regarding a past practice which the union alleges was unilaterally terminated by management at the Clarksville, Tennessee Post Office. When reviewing past practice cases, the first step must be to identify the practice and determine whether it was in fact a valid past practice. The JCAM provides guidance on identifying past practice situations and utilizes the guidance provided by National Arbitrator Ritten Mithal to the National Academy of Arbitrators and describe the elements required to establish a valid past practice. In this document, Arbitrator Mittenthal found that, first, there should be clarity and consistency. And this is why y'all need to get into Article 5 and memorize those bullet points. She's fixing to go over them with you here, and that's how critical they are in beating a past practice case or winning a past practice case, okay? Second, there should be longevity and repetition. Third, there should be acceptability. Arbitrator Mittenthal added that one must consider, two, the underlying circumstance which gave a practice its true dimensions, finding that every practice must be carefully related to its origin and purpose. Finally, Mr. Menthol stated that the significance to be attributed to a practice may possibly be affected by whether or not it's supported by mutuality. 
Regarding mutuality, arbitrator Mintenthal found that some practices are the product either in their inception or in their application of a joint understanding. Others develop from choices made by the employer in the exercise of its managerial discretion without any intention of a future commitment. And that's what they're trying to say here. Remember, he said there was no obligation and there was no intent of a future commitment on it. So they're trying to take this language and use it into their benefit. In the case at Bar, management contended that in the Clarksville, the past practice of allowing stewards to conduct their union duties at the union hall instead of remaining at the Clarksville post office was a decision made with managerial discretion without the intention of a future commitment. And that's what she's stating there. In examining the facts, circumstances in the instant case, as we apply the elements required to prove a valid past practice, one must certainly believe that there was clarity and consistency. Since there was no dispute that the union stewards at Clarksville, Tennessee, when granted approved union time, traveled to the union hall to complete those duties. This occurred for the past 25 years, which is to be considered consistent and also proves that there was longevity, repetition, and acceptability on the part of the union and management at the office. Certainly, an objective review of the grievance file would render an assumption that the practice was born out of convenience for the union, accessibility to files and other resources to conduct the business at hand, but management support for the arrangement over all these years proves that the service accepted the practice. The origin and purpose had to have been defined by the parties who agreed to the practice, but the longevity of the practice demonstrated that it served a purpose. Otherwise, there would have been or should have been prior discussions about making a change to the long-time practice. And finally, no practice continues for 25 years unless if mutuality did not exist. The practice of allowing the union steward to travel to the union hall to process grievances in Clarksville can only be determined to be a valid past practice, one which survived for at least 25 years, as stated by the local union branch president of 25 years. In the same document presented to the National Academy of Arbitrators, Arbitrator Menthol reviewed the three functions of past practice. The practice at issue in this case would have been deemed to implement separate conditions of employment. Since the national agreement is silent regarding where and at what location union stewards would perform their union duties. Now that goes along with Arbitrator Talmadge. Remember when she said that? It's silent on where you'll do that work. Here's another arbitrator saying that since the national agreement is silent regarding where and at what location union stewards would perform their union duties. That's very good language for y'all when y'all putting your contentions. When management comes at you, they need to do it at the hall. Well, the contract's silent on where we do it. And we've been doing it off-premises, off-site at our union hall for two years now, five years now, ten years now, and have never had an issue with it. Regarding this type of past practice, Menthol stated, and I've already read that 10 times, Mr. Menthol opined that this type of past practice can establish a separate and forcible condition of employment concerning issues where the contract is silent, most frequently described as the silent contract. The JCAM goes on to clarify that where the Postal Service seeks to change or terminate a binding past practice implementing conditions of employment concerning areas where the contract is silent, Article 5 prohibits it from doing so unilaterally without providing the union appropriate notice. Prior to making such a change unilaterally, 
the Postal Service must provide notice to the union and engage in good faith bargaining over the impact on the bargaining unit. The JCAM goes on to state that if the parties are unable to agree, the union may grieve the change. The JCAM at page 5.4 provides that management changes in such silent contracts are generally not considered violations if the company changes owners or bargaining unit, the nature of the business changes, or three, the practice is no longer efficient or economical. The parties agreed and provided guidance to their local representatives that the first of these has rarely arisen in postal service cases involving its numerous bargaining units. A change in local union leadership or the arrival of a new postmaster or supervisor is not, in itself, sufficient justification to change or terminate a binding past practice as noted in the previous paragraph. As clarified in the JCAMP, simply changing managers or union representatives is not, in and of itself, sufficient reason to allow a change. Regarding the nature of the business changing, this does not apply in this case since the Postal Service maintains the same mission as 25 years prior, and that is to serve their customers in the delivery of the nation's mail. Management relied on the last of the listed requirements for making changes without violation, and that is that the practice is allowing union stewards to travel to the union hall to complete their union duties is no longer efficient or economical. And that's 99% of our cases are going to be dealing with that argument, so be ready for that argument, okay? Management will always say that it's no longer efficient or economical. So when you're dealing with past practice grievances, talking about us going off-site to do our union work on the clock, be ready for those two arguments, efficient or economical. However, the grievance file does not support that fact. To make a change to a valid past practice, such as in the instant case, the JCAM provides that where the Postal Service seeks to change or terminate a binding past practice, implementing conditions of employment, Concerning areas where the contract is silent, Article 5 prohibits it from doing so unilaterally without providing the union appropriate notice. Prior to making such a change unilaterally, the Postal Service must provide notice to the union and engage in good faith bargaining over the impact on the bargaining unit. The grievance file demonstrated that Postmaster Griner provided a notice to the union of his intent to terminate the practice, which began more than 25 years prior. However, he did not first engage in good faith bargaining before determining what changes, if any, could be made regarding this separate and forcible condition of employment. Contrary to management's argument that it was incumbent upon the union to request the meet and negotiate the terms of a future practice to cover the location for completing union duties for union stewards in Clarksville, Article 5 of the National Agreement places the responsibility upon management to provide notice to the union and to engage in good faith bargaining with local union representatives before making a final decision to terminate the practice. So that is a major issue in most past practice grievances, especially ones where management sends us a notice that they're going to terminate a practice or a notice that, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about doing away with this, okay? Management, just like in this case, just like in the case in Mandeville, they will say, hey, we gave them a notice. They failed to get with us. And in both cases, I asked management to show the arbitrator where that responsibility lies on the union. Just like this gentleman, I asked him, I said, have you ever dealt with an Article 5 case before? Yes, I have. I said, okay, so you're well-versed in, in Article 5. Yes. I asked him the same things that I did in Mandeville. I said, can you show me where 
you put the union on notice, all right? Now, where did you tell the union that we were going to meet to, to negotiate, to bargain in good faith? Where was that meeting set up, and where is the email setting it up? I didn't do that. Okay. I said, now, where's the studies that were done? You're saying that it's no longer efficient. I said, can you show the arbitrator? I said, because you're well-versed in Article 5. You have to understand this. Where is it that you, the studies that you've done to show that it was no longer efficient? Well, I didn't do any studies. Can you show the arbitrator where it's no longer economical, the studies that you did there? Because we've been doing it for 25 years. Surely there's some kind of study. Surely there's some kind of data that you've produced to show that it's no longer, after 25 years, economical or efficient. Any studies done? Nothing. And so that's what we did in that case there, as well as this one. So she says, and to engage in good faith bargaining with local union representatives before making a final decision to terminate the practice. Good faith bargaining requires a give and take. And although management disputed the union's efforts, the joint exhibit two at page 74 provided a list of what I would call reasonable demands given the fact that these resources are likely readily available at the union hall. Especially important to any advocate would be the ability to maintain confidentiality which would require that there would be locking file cabinets and access to the space which could limit, could be limited to union personnel by lock and key. Now listen to this arbitration decision here. This, this is the one that arbitrator Talmadge cited in hers as well, and she got it off of this case because I, I cited arbitrator uh, August who, who cited arbitrator Barrett, and this is what he says. Arbitrator Donald J. Barrett reviewed a similar issue in the case number Stated there, the union argues that this is a unilateral action by management, and I am in agreement. While the notice offers the union a chance to comment, the decision to remove the union from their office space acquired 14 years previous has already been made. And that's what we said here. The notice said we're, we're gone. That's why we call it an eviction notice. Unilateral is defined as one side, ex parte. To any reasonable observation, the manager's notice meets such a defi definition as one-sided. He notified the union that in 30 days there were, they were out of the office. He was repurposing it for postal duties, i.e. his new office. There is no attempt to bargain in good faith. <laughs> Pursuant to the agreement was the union prior to taking such action simply noticed informing them of his intentions. While the manager is technically correct that there is no language in the agreement regarding providing the union with office space, Article 5 does relate to a past practice which, without dispute, covers completely the long-standing practice of the Lakeland Post Office providing the union with their office space. Further, while management argues that the union failed to respond to the subject notice, other than with a grievance, it must be understood that the grievance process provides just that a means to discuss the subject matter fully in an attempt to resolve those differences, such as management's intent to, intention to repurpose the union office. However, the record before me inclusive of, of that which I have cited above serves only undermine management, manager Pope's contention that he was willing to bargain in good faith but for the union's failure to do so. So even back here they were saying the same thing. It is apparent by his response to question number 20, as well as numbers 24 and 28, that manager Pope's mind was set without any consideration to established past practice in place for 14 years. As agreed at hearing by the parties, a past practice does exist in the instant matter before me. 
Further, both counsels referred to that authoritative treatment provided by National Arbitrator Mintenthal, who analyzed a group of factors that originated in the steel industry and are now generally applied by arbitrators in determining whether workplace activity qualifies as a past practice. And I'll go ahead and read these even though I've read them a thousand times. Those factors are clarity and consistency of the pattern of conduct, longevity and repetition of the activity, acceptability of the pattern, and mutual acknowledgement of the pattern by the parties. Those very patterns existed at the time the manager issued this notice, or more likely referred to as an eviction notice. And that's what both people put in their contentions, both the union officials put in their contentions. And that's what both uh, stewards put in their contentions and formal aides talking about the eviction notice. This is where we got it. Okay, so put that in yours. I'll read that again. Those very patterns existed at the time the manager issued his notice or more likely referred to as the eviction notice by the arbitrator. Yet the manager, by his responses to the union on May 10th, appears not to be aware of such lawful and contractual mandates. Further, as arbitrator Menthol stated in the same treatise, an established practice that is an enforceable condition of employment, wholly apart from any basis in the agreement, cannot be unilaterally modified or terminated during the term of the contract. I paraphrase. The service argues that there is a change of conditions at this facility, i.e. the manager needing this space to be closer to the workroom floor as a legitimate basis for discontinuing the past practice. I must respectfully disagree. By the mere fact that this practice, the union's use of the space for many years, was uninterrupted, nor impeached the operations of this office during all these many years, there is no evidence before me of this being the case, but for the arrival of a new manager who made this unilaterally decision that he wanted to be in that space currently occupied by the union, this past practice would have continued as is. There is no other reasonable conclusion to be reached than that. No other past manager nor postmaster has moved to vacate the union's office for postal use until manager Pope arrived and almost immediately moved to evict the union from his own use in a manner that clearly violates Article 5 of the agreement. There is an overwhelming body of arbitral precedent that established that past practices may be held enforceable through the arbitration process that such a practice is in actuality a part of the party's entire agreement, though silent in words contained within such an agreement. As arbitrator Jacobs once wrote, a union management contract is far more than words on paper. It is also the oral understandings, interpretations, and mutually accepted habits of action which have grown up around it over the course of time. In the instant matter before me, I find clear and convincing evidence that management did violate violate Article 5 of the party's agreement and applicable law in the manner by which they attempted to unilaterally move the union from the space long allocated for their own purposes. Here she continues, Arbitrator Barrett's review and analysis in concert with Arbitrator Menthol's direction regarding past practice situations was spot on. Likewise, in the instant case, the practice of allowing the union stewards at Clarksville, Tennessee to travel to the union hall, located 1.5 miles from the post office, conduct union business, was a very well-established and valid past practice. This enforceable condition of employment in that office cannot be unilaterally terminated or changed except in accordance with Article 5 of the National Agreement. The evidence of record demonstrated that management at Clarksville attempted to unilaterally terminate the practice without bargaining in good faith with the union before doing so. As such, a violation of Article 5 occurred.
Additionally, there was no extenuating circumstance, clearly evidenced by the record, which would have allowed the service to act without first engaging the union in good faith negotiations. For the foregoing reasons, the grievance is sustained. There's two very good decisions that took a long time. I apologize. But get decisions and read them just like that. This may be something that's fixing to become rampant where management is bitter at us about filing these grievances on HIP. They're starting to kick us out of our union halls, telling us that they're no longer going to be able to go to our union halls to do these grievances because they're mad. Okay? And so we'll get ahead of that. And that's what we did here. Two very good decisions. Uh, Jeremy will have those up for you. I don't remember if I read Arbitrator August's number. It's C3447-34447. C34447 is Arbitrator August's, and that will be put up. But uh, anytime something like this comes up, I'm going to start dealing with it. Anytime it looks like a pattern to me, I'm going to bring it on here and deal with it, okay? And that's just what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to get into some other stuff next week, some discipline. I told I was going to do that. Got more people sending in. We'll go over that. And if something else comes up, I'll go over it again, okay, especially this heat stuff. Uh, headquarters, business agents are starting to get involved here with this HIP heat training. Uh, we're going to win this, okay? We're going to win it. Hang in there with us. Uh, we're going to keep educating as much as we can and dealing with things. And I'm going to keep talking about issues whenever I want to, all right? <laughs> Uh, whether you like it or not, like I said, you don't have to listen to me, man. Uh, I, that's the reason I wish every region had their own podcast. It's very easy for the carrier to listen to while on the route. They don't have to read anything. Um, very easy. They can listen to it as many times as they want to. I think every region should do it. I, I know that they don't like to because anybody can listen to it. It's, it's so secretive. Uh, the contract's not a secret. We've had it around since 70. Uh, there's no secret to our contract. There's no secret to filing grievances. Uh, what we request, what we're going to do as far as discipline is concerned, there's no secret to that. I don't know why everything has to be so secretive. Uh, everybody's so worried that management listens to me. Good. I'm going to tell them that sorry, low-down line son of a bitches all the time. I tell them that to their faces. Um, so I'm not concerned about management listening to this, getting secrets. JCAM is not a secret, Okay. Uh, holding them accountable is not a secret. Things that we're going to do is not a secret, you know? And so I wish every region would, would do one and talk to their region. Uh, I would do it, and nobody's going to tell me not to. If I was a business agent, I would do it, and y'all could listen to me. I'd say, hey, in this region, what looks like happening is this. So here's how we're going to prepare for it. And I would send out emails. I'd send out emails to uh, uh, showing issues and contentions and remedies and things, but I'm going to talk about it to my people. Why? Because it's easy to get out on the route and listen and listen to somebody telling you how we're going to do things. There's two very good cases right there that you can listen to. You got issue statements. You got your contractual language. Now you know kind of where management's going to come from, how you're going to rebut that, how you're going to challenge that, and the remedy that you're going to ask for. You know, that, that's great stuff right there for you, okay? So, again, thank y'all bees for coming in there. <laughs> you didn't have to. You know, that stuff does not hurt my feelings, I promise. But, man, y'all attacked it. It was about three days of just mayhem right there, and I thought it was beautiful. But, uh, anyway, like I said, I love each and every one of you. Whether you like me or not, I don't care. Uh, I love you, and I'm going to protect you as much as I can, all right? 
I've got a lot of other stuff, but it's two and a half hours. So I'm going to get off of here. Y'all have a fantastic rest of the week and I'll talk to y'all next Sunday and we'll cover some more stuff, whatever it is. All right. Y'all take care now. Bye.